Good evening, and welcome to Black Ink Red Film. I'm your host, Stephen, and with me tonight is... This is Stephen Payne, and welcome to Prom Night. We're at the end of Season 1, Stephen King, The Early Years, and tonight we're going to be talking about Carrie. And tonight, to help us discuss this fabulous novel and great film, we have with us a special guest, Corey. Hey, I'm Corey. Corey is my 15-year-old daughter, and uh, Stephen E. and I thought it would be interesting to actually have someone as a guest who's actually close in age and a girl like the protagonist of this book. So we're going to have Corey give her perspective as well. And we actually believe that at some point Corey will bring upon death and destruction on her own prom. That is highly plausible. So Corey, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into Stephen King, how you were introduced into Stephen King. As a young child, I was always interested in reading courtesy of my second grade teacher and being raised with you as a dad definitely aided in getting urged into reading Stephen King. And by fifth grade, I was reading my first Stephen King book. And was Carrie your first Stephen King book? No, it was one of my first few, but my first one was actually The Stand, which is, in my opinion, one of his best works. That is one of his best works. All right. So with that, why don't we get into the novel? Stephen E., could you give us a synopsis of Carrie the novel? The novel Carrie is about Carrie White, a young woman, well, a teenage girl, who's over the course of her childhood been slowly harnessing and developing telekinetic powers. She also happens to be that girl in class who gets picked on, who's very awkward, who's had a difficult upbringing, which I'm sure we'll get into later, leading uh, ultimately culminating into an incident at her prom where the powers are ultimately unleashed on the kids who've been picking on her and play one of the most cruelest gags you'll ever see or hear of in, uh, in high school. Very good. Let's start with, we'll start with you. Actually, let's start with me. What did I enjoy about this novel? So what was interesting about this novel to me is we know it's Stephen King's first book, or at least his first published book. And what I found interesting about it is it's got, you know, interesting characters in Carrie White. It's got her with her telekinetic power. It's got her religious mother. It's got the standard Stephen king um bad guy in billy i think billy billy Billy. or tommy billy is the the bad guy tommy's the one who gets the prom date right prom tommy's the one who gets the the prom date so it's got a lot of really interesting i mean stephen king brings a lot of elements to the table right out of the gate with this in, in his inaugural novel so what didn't work for me is I, I found the flashbacks or the, the cut scenes in between what's happening to Carrie and the the flashbacks of the, I think it's the White Commission, the, where they're studying it. Uh, to me, it actually, it took away a little bit of the suspense, yeah, that, that, I, that I think built throughout the movie a little bit better than, in my opinion, it does throughout the book. I mean, there there are parts of it where it was like it actually took me out of it. it's like oh so Tommy's going to die soon or oh so Carrie's going to go home and commit matricide right and and I don't know it just uh, to me it's like well I the the story of Carrie about the abuse and the revenge and all of that is very interesting I it, this one I didn't enjoy as much as I enjoyed The Shining and um, uh, what's the one we read before that Shining Pet and Cemetery. Pet Cemetery yes. But that's my opinion. So what is, let's start with our guest, Corey. Corey, what did you think of the novel, Carrie? 
I really liked the book. It was really refreshing being able to, like, not just have, like, one specific perspective and reading out, like, through all of the books. It's nice hearing a... Personally, I liked the way that they transitioned between um, the White Commission. Mm -hmm. Is that what it was called? The White Commission and um, Carrie White and all of those people's perspectives because it gives insight as to what could have... As to what did happen, and it shows, like, the culmination of all of it, and it shows, like, the building up of, like, everything, because it's not a break into Mattis, it's kind of a descent into Mattis, and it kind of gives way to that. Okay. I disagree with the idea that the narrative doesn't work, in fact. Well, one of the things I've always liked about Carrie, the the story in general, be it novel or movie, I still think it's it's King's simplest and most elegant horror tale that's Mm. also a tragedy built into it. In many ways, it's it's sort of Cinderella gone really bad. And one of the things I liked about the book, especially since it was his first novel, is that it showed a tremendous amount of confidence on the part of the writer to take a unique approach to the narrative. Uh-huh. I was actually surprised when I read it. I thought, wow, this is, this is fairly unusual. There's not a whole lot to the story, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's a fairly simplistic narrative. But the fact that it did have this piece is almost... I guess in movie terms, it'd be almost found footage-like. Right. Where you have people going back, not really giving away too much about what happened in the past. Not in a given shot. But it adds a level of intrigue to it that I think if this was done, as was done in the movies, is more of a straight narrative. In a book form, it might not have been quite as compelling. I actually, a couple books I think it's similar to in that style is almost the Bram Stoker's Dracula and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which mm-hmm. are really about diaries and recollection, right. things like that. So right. I, I think it works. I, um, I don't think it's his best novel, but it's, I, it's a pretty damn good one, and I've always been a fan of Carrie. Yeah, I guess I should really be careful about that statement. I wouldn't say that Carrie is a bad novel. I think it's just not one of my favorite novels by him because I found the narrative a little distracting. So I I think he really, especially when you think about The Shining, which we did just last week, I think that's his third novel and the, and the real difference in storytelling craft just between that and, uh, what was it? Salem's Lot that came between the two of them. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, just my thought on that one. So one of the things that I was interested in having Corey on the podcast for this week is how do you think that. Carrie and her friends are actually how realistic are they to you and your experiences with high school girls? I have never met met a high school girl as catty as Chris's. I've mm-hmm. never met a Chris Hardinson, but I've also never met a Carrietta White. I so her religious upbringing, you yeah, you've that's never... very. It's just unrealistic to me because I've definitely met. A lot of people that have religious upbringings, not as, like, big as that, but I've definitely met people that have, like, a very excessive religious upbringing. Mm -hmm. And then when I see them at school, they're totally different people than how they act around their parents. Right. And just being so utterly, like, uncultured with, like, blotting your lipstick with a tampon, that just is very... Mm, Yeah. How do you go through high school without knowing that? Another thing that I find very unrealistic is the whole Sue Snell character in general. I don't think high school girls have enough intellectual maturity to be able to feel like they need to atone for something that they've done. Hmm. They'll definitely be like, oh, yeah, kind of feel bad about it. Great. Yeah, but but actually giving up her own prom and then having yeah. her boyfriend. 
I know personally I wouldn't do something like that, but maybe I'm just not like a very atonement type person. Right. How about you, Mr. Payne? So I agree with Corey, but then I don't agree with her, but then I also agree with her. So I think that's two agrees to one disagree. I don't even agree I'm with winning. that. <laughs> yes, she's winning. Well, she's going to win anyway. Um, well, interesting. She makes some interesting points there. So let me first of all let's remember this novel was written in 1974. That's the next thing I was going to be. Is it was it a, a novel of its time as well? You know, because there are definitely some instances in the book where it's like, oh, couldn't get away with that today. Well, sure, in the original movie too, but. Um, so book was written in 74 and this, I, where was this located with the located? This what definitely wasn't California. It was in Maine. It was like, it was in Maine. Yeah. Maine. Well, that's what I thought. So, um, you still at the time, especially had a lot of this, uh, you know, the heavy Bible belt type, it wasn't necessarily the Bible belt. You had a lot of that culture still existing out in that area and it, it may still definitely not California. Um, I will say this in the remake of the film, I thought as great as Julia Moore's, Juliana Moore's character was, that character seemed slightly dated for what we have now. But, um, so, so I'll, I'll say that as far as like, uh, you don't meet many people anymore who've maybe had that heavy and, and, um, old school religious background as they, they have now, not in this area. Um, regarding Sue Snell, Corey makes a great point that's always been, Maybe one of my main sticking points with the story was I always thought Sue Snell's character was somewhere between unnecessary and a real stretch. I think you could have done without her because the idea that I want to make atonement for this so badly, I'm going to force my boyfriend to go to the prom with Carrie. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I see that happening ever. Um, I mean, it, it, it kind of worked, but that was one of those story elements. I thought, yeah, you you probably didn't really need her. She probably didn't add much to it, and, and the character's motivation was uh, was implausible at best, I thought. Well, I think you needed her. So, so it's an interesting point. I think you need that character if you are doing the storytelling uh, format that he's doing. But because he's doing this, like the White Commission, you know, she needs to be there to be the witness, the final witness, if you will. Because if it was just like random people, like, oh, we... We interviewed the guy at the bus station, and then we interviewed this guy. It wouldn't hold it together, wouldn't have the same impact. So I think that's why she needs to be there, in addition to giving up her boyfriend. But you could have easily had the PE teacher do that, yeah. be that character also. Yeah, that's true. But it yeah. also adds a different perspective from her, because she was someone that was compassionate towards her, rather than, oh, she killed over 200 people. Like, she yeah. is not a good person. Sue Snell gives the other side to things. Yeah, but... She was just a kid. She wanted, like, all of this. Like, that was also one of her main points, saying, like, she was just a kid. Right. So. She does bring the humanity back to Carrie in the end of the uh, end of the novel when they are talking to her exactly. in the White Commission. Very good. What else do I want to say about this novel? So uh, we'll probably talk a lot about this in the differences, but one of the things that I found interesting about this, and it is a difference from the novel, is it's not just the high school in the book. She destroys most of the town. So the body yeah. count is much higher. The destruction level is much All higher. All the gas stations. The gas stations. The Yeah. And and so that was a very interesting. Um, maybe that. So. All right. So maybe this is a uh, an interesting point to discuss. Did Carrie go too far in her revenge? Here's. Um, that's, Stephen, he just raised his I hand. Raised my hand <laughs> we're part of a committee here. So yeah. I just want to make sure I got my it's words in. It's a democracy. In. Uh, I think that's a great question and a great discussion point because 
not to jump ahead too far, but in the movies, the destruction's not nearly as profound. He basically stays within the school and then a couple of people afterwards. For me, the thing that's always stood out about Carrie is that the book was written in 1974. And in many respects, the novel Carrie mirrors another novel that was written two years earlier by the name of First Blood. Hmm. In the novel First Blood, John Rambo is a person suffering from a form of PTSD who's also endowed with some special powers, not supernatural powers, but special trained killing powers, who winds up, after being persecuted and bullied, he basically unleashes hell on, on an entire town and kills probably upwards of 100 people. Hmm. In Carrie, Carrie White is this girl who essentially has PTSD of sorts from bullying, who has this telekinetic power, who by the end of the novel has literally wiped out an entire town. I think, yeah, the body count, as Corey mentioned... It's over 200, yeah. It's like, I think at some point they alluded to three or 400. That could be. So she literally... Both characters are very similar. I don't know if there was any intention on King's part. I have no idea if he ever read First Blood. But to me, those two novels have already stood out as Carrie White and John Rambo were very similar characters. They were... They were on one hand tragic, but on the other hand, they they literally became um, monsters out of control that were forced to essentially burn themselves out at the end. Right. So, Stephen E., you had mentioned that um, one of the things that you found interesting about the novel is just the whole topic of bullying and how bullying is used throughout the throughout the both the novel and the movie. So, why don't you say what you found interesting about it? Well, I think it's what's interesting about it is that it's part of the reason it's still a timeless story. I mean, there's arguably nothing unique or special about the bullying, per se, other than Carrie is a victim of some pretty high-level, arguably implausible at some point, bullying. But that's part of the reason the story is still strong today. You know, we've had a lot of cases of bullying. Bullying still is a bigger issue now mm -hmm. in society, and especially high schools, than it's ever been before. And not to get too dark on this whole subject, but as people continue to explore the concept why school shootings happen and why these sort of things happen, carries it's a cautionary tale in many respects right. for what bullying can lead to, what damage it inflicts, um, and and uh, you know, so I, I think that's it's really holds the story really, despite there being some things about it that are um, may feel dated. I, there's still some really powerful stuff about it, themes of bullying and, and the cautionary tale uh, that it serves as. Yeah, it's it's basically revenge fantasy. You know, she gets pushed to a point and they all pay for it. But it's it, not even, I'm sorry to interrupt you, it's not even necessarily, in my opinion, a big fantasy because it's really a tragedy. Because by the time Carrie has to quote-unquote unleash her wrath, we know all is lost for her. It's really, yeah. it's really sad that she has to get to that point. And I, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I want to make sure I cover this for you. I may, maybe I'm a little more dense than I used to be or something. And I didn't pick up on this when I watched the movies in the past, or maybe the movies didn't cover it as well as the book, but there are two really important things of the book that I finally picked up on. One was the parallel between the beginning of the film, the really, <laughs> it's not, it's too early to be even the inciting incident, but the film starts with Carrie, discovering her period for the first time and not knowing what to do with it because she's never been told what it is and it's obviously a big traumatic thing that sets everything in motion from that point on at the prom when she has the blood dumped on her head and everyone once again is laughing at her and she's embarrassed and doesn't know what to do with it that's a framing device that's a parallel i had not really picked up on when i first few times i saw the movies also what's 
very tragic is that throughout the book we see her basically being bullied by her mother at home she's bullied at school and at home mm -hmm. she really has no there's no reprieve for her other than her private time to, where she's discovering her power right and at the prom when the incident happens when the blood's dumped on her head and she decides to unleash unleash hell on the prom and then the town there's something in the book that alludes to she actually finally understands what her mother was saying and she basically is now going to take out her wrath on the sinners as her mother said always she turns into her mother mm -hmm. toward the end of the film and that's a pretty profound tragedy in itself yeah so there's no great revenge fantasy in my opinion this is basically someone pushed too far and this is the bomb finally went off right if you notice like earlier in the book there are scenarios in which she's thinking good like run them over with this mm -hmm. she's been violently she's been violently minded for who knows how long but it's already profound in the beginning of the book and it's noteworthy because it's like it shows how she is going to progress and um what ends up happening right it's a built it's a it's a it's a it's a burning fuse from very exactly. early on it's a descent into madness mm -hmm. well i definitely think yeah so maybe revenge fantasy so like revenge fantasy typically the guy person performing the revenge you know gets to walk away and ha ha have at you but and be in a sequel right and be in a sequel but clearly yeah. carrie doesn't have that so yeah so i'm with you i you know maybe i was obtuse as well i did not make the connection the theme of blood is so much heavier handed throughout the entire book right, right. even even the mom telling her about it about the blood so that's that's a much heavier bookended theme and and or i should say not even bookended it's a theme that runs throughout the entire novel carrie's mother understanding margaret white understanding carrie's power much earlier in in the book so she's there's an incident in the book where carrie is a three-year-old uh sees a sunbathing neighbor and then her mother comes over and chastises her and as a result of the of the punishment that she gets from her mom she makes it rain stones right. and tries to push the piano out through the window so all of that is uh, lost in well, so we're talking about the film, like my version of the film that I base this on is the Brian De Palma right, version right, of the right. film. Which version is that? Newer or older? The seventy-six one. The seventy-six the one, yeah. First film. The, yeah. Uh, oh. Okay, so is there anything else we want to say about the novel? So Corey, it's a pretty good book. I would definitely recommend the read. It's a good Stephen King book to start off with. Very easy to grasp. Really easy to. It's a simple concept. It's a good book. It's enthralling. I would recommend it. Or actually, that that reminds me of something. Is it is it a good horror book on its own, or is it because it's Stephen King? Would this, if Stephen King wrote no other novels, would this still stand as a classic? Well, it's sort of hard to say. I mean, uh, uh, that's almost impossible to judge. I still think it's a really good horror novel. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. because, uh, partly because it is a classic and timeless tale, and the theme of bullying still holds up almost fifty years later. Also, I still think the narrative style of it is incredibly compelling. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's sure. not what you would call a scary horror novel, per se, but I think it is a classic, like Frankenstein. It's a, it's a classic psychological kind of yeah. kind of horror tale. Yeah. I think it's one, yeah, and I, and I to, to all the points you made earlier, I do think it it is a theme of bullying at home, bullying at school, uh, going into the prom with trepidation, thinking that Tommy's going to trick her, and then when it all comes crashing down, right, just the ultimate... You know, sleeping giant unleashing all the wrath. So, yeah, definitely a compelling read. I was I was going to answer that my own question with. I think it would have, especially with the movie, right? Maybe if the movie had not been made, 
Um, I don't know how well it would be remembered, but given the the movie as well. Well, and one thing, if I may, one final comment about why the narrative style of the book is important is one thing that wasn't in the films that holds out is really part of the reason we're getting these, the book, we have these flash forwards to these, these reports and uh, commissions and testimonies that are being done is as we found at the very end, this whole idea of children with this TK or this teleconnect power Mm -hmm. is now becoming more of a thing. And frankly, that element of the story is kind of scary. That's true. That was a good point in it. That was uh, yeah, that was completely missed. I think we should talk a little bit more about that when we get to the differences. So why don't we pause here and then we will now talk about the movie. Corey, let's start with you. Okay. We watched the Brian De Palma film of Carrie the other day. What did you think of it? It was definitely a change from the book. I watched the movie before I completely finished reading the book, so I was definitely expecting different things when I read the book, but when I did, I was I noticed a lot of things that had changed. Like, for example, she goes home in the book. She goes home... With the intent to murder her mother, and she knows right. this. Like, it's at the forefront of her mind. The, I'm going to murder my mom. I'm going to go home and do this. And in the book, not in the book, in the movie, she goes home, takes a bath, cleans up, gets, her, gets into her pajamas, like, all of this stuff. And it's completely unnecessary. Yeah, I think we're going to jump. So I, wa- I want to talk about that because I noticed that as well. And typically we would talk about this in the third part of the podcast which is did they make a change to a character or scene that fundamentally changed the character Corey broke the format I'm telling that's right Corey broke it but it is so (laughs) I think you're absolutely right so in the film uh in the actually in both films she goes home and she is attacked by her mother as is in the book but you're right in the novel she's going home with the express intent to kill her mom so I I think Carrie knows she's on the way out. Carrie knows she's not going to survive this evening, which I think in the movie is not as clear. I think she is in shock and, you know, she's looking for comfort from her mother as opposed to no no one's making it out of here, including myself. Yeah. Stephen E. Well, the uh, I'm not. Well, Corey kind of already broke the format, but (laughs) I'm going to try to go. There's a whole (laughs) when we get back. (laughs) We get back to the whole topic of what was different. Um, well, the sequence of events at the end of the film, both films are different than they are in the book anyway. You know, the whole when he sh- goes back to see her mother, when she goes back to see her mother, it's in a different place in the timeline events in the movie than it is in the books. The, what was the question? Oh, wait, wait, say more. So, like, in the, both in the novel and the movie, she gets... She goes back right after the prom, right? So, in the books... Correct me if I'm wrong, Corey. You're younger and have a better memory than I do, and have drink have been drinking less. <laughs> but in the books, she leaves the prom. She demolishes a good section of the town. Yes. And then she goes home. Yep. She's meandering home, she demolishing home, the town as she goes, literally yeah. leaving a wake of destruction right. on the way home. Correct. She goes home, has a confrontation with her mother, kills her mother after she herself gets stabbed. Then she actually has her final run-in with um, Billy and uh, Chris. Chris. Then, yeah, then so that sequence is different. Right. Yeah, then yeah. basically burns herself out in her final meeting with Sue. And her, yeah. she literally bl- burns out the candle of her existence. Right. In the movie, it's she leaves the prom, blows everybody up, 
goes home, has a confrontation with the mother, and they both both basically die. Yeah, the house gets sucked into the void. Yeah. Or right, right. And there's a pretty big difference between the way that um, Margaret dies in the movie versus how she dies in the book. Right. In the right. book, Carrie is, liter- is literally talking to her mother. It's like stopping something else. I forget what she. I forget what analogy she used, but she used an analogy, and she said, "Slower." And slower, and stopped, and the mother just. Yeah, she stops her heart. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, right. She yep. wills her heart to and stop. And in the movie, it's more. I notice this, but I don't know if this is anything or if it's just my mind, like making stuff up. Um, I notice that it's vaguely reminiscent of a of the way Jesus was crucified in the movie. The way her arms were spread out. When yeah, she was there's with the knives. There, there's definitely a visual element. They, yeah, they they talk about a lot of the religious imagery that's throughout the house in the novel but in the movie they have this really garish jesus with arrows in him i don't remember arrows being yeah in that's the, just no um complete with the lit up eyes that is a it's a really it creepy unsettling. looking it's yeah, <laughs> a creepy prop they Imagine going for that. In, into the prayer closet for 12 hours to stare at that yeah, thing that was no good well the death of the mother is more cinematic i mean it's why in the novel jaws the shark Basically, just sinks under its own weight and fatigue mm-hmm. and dies, and then in the movie he blows up. That's how I'm going to go in both movies. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. So, <laughs> in uh, in the movie, uh, well, and Carrie obviously in both versions of it, the the death of the mother was much more cinematic with flying blades and stuff pinning her to the wall. So, right. part of I think that decision was just wasn't quite as spectacular in the movie. Oh, look, she just had a heart attack. Yeah, but in the book, it's also more like it shows that till her, till her last moment, Carrie is still willing to defy her mother and not like shrivel up under the, oh my gosh, mom, I need you. Yeah. So is it? So let's talk about De Palma a little bit. And I think one of the things rewatching, full disclosure, this movie scared the living hell out of me when I was a kid. Right, that that jump scene at the end mm-hmm. gave me nightmares. I, I think I don't know, would it come out around seventy six? Seventy six. So, yeah, so I would have been about nine when I saw it, probably way too young for that. That movie did some damage. Watching it now as an adult, like some of the scenes that he's doing, like what do we call like the dual focus scenes where both Carrie and Tommy are in focus. Yeah, I mean, oh, and all the split screens at the end. He's he's doing some really interesting camera work there. I thought the split screen at the prom, I don't know, I felt it was a little distracting. But still, I mean, De Palma... I think that's why De Palma is De Palma. He was able to pull off some of those types of things. And the power stances between the mother and the daughter. Yeah. That was, yeah. Well, the original Carrie is 76. Carrie still holds up as, I think, probably one of the 50 greatest horror films of all time. Yeah. Somewhere between, I'd put somewhere between, well, one and 50. (laughs) It's it's in the top 50. Yeah. (laughs) Between 25 and 50. Uh, It's a very powerful horror film, and it was definitely scary when it came out. Right. And part of the reason it works so well, of course, is uh, De Palma sometimes gets a little cute and showy with his camera tricks. But again, that was De Palma. He was a disciple of Hitchcock and he was he was a, a pretty cool visionary also because he gets two incredible, incredible performances out of his lead actresses, mm-hmm. Sissy Spacek and Piper Laurie. Oh, yeah. Carrying the mom, which, you know, really carry the film, brought a lot of Sissy Spacek brings a lot of humanity to carry. So when the the whole incident at the prom happens, it's not just a big exploitive finale. Right. I mean, there is a lot of emotion behind it. There is a lot of dread and suspense behind it. And yeah. it's, it's really a terrific, uh, you know, suspense and horror tale. 
The yeah, I I would have to go. It would be interesting to go back in time how long that sequence is. That slow motion sequence is like all the events are leading up to her working up to the stage and slow motion and whatnot. That's an incredible piece of filmmaking. Oh, it watching is. that, it's like I am so out of my seat watching that scene happen. Actually, you know what's interesting is now that I think about it. I think the the jump sequences, the jump back sequences of the novel of like saying, oh, yeah, we know that 200 people were going to die. <laughs> yeah. And then we knew she was right, going to go home right. and kill her mom. I mean, maybe that's a, a good storytelling way to create that kind of tension that he was able to do in that scene, that Palm was able to do in that scene. Well, the funny thing about that, too, is that when with obviously both film versions, they remove the whole flash forward, right. you know, here's what happened backstory. So you really had a straight narrative with both films. And it's funny because um, at the time, Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel both had their at the movies or, or um, I forget what it was, sneak previews. Sneak I think it previews, was called yeah. back in the days. Anyway, Ebert had always given it a four-star rating. He deemed it a great horror film. Siskel, not so much. I think he gave it two or two and a half stars. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I think Siskel was the one to point out was like, you know, there's so little story here without all the slow motion photography, <laughs> you'd have about a 35 minute long film. But, but nevertheless, no, the slow motion is used very effectively. All the camera tricks that De Palma used some slightly to excess, but you're willing to forgive that because, you know, he does everything so very well in the film. Again, it's a classic story. It's Cinderella gone bad. It's, yeah. Um, I mean, it really is, is this is, this is a dark t- side of Cinderella. And it, again, I think the, the original version holds up well, except for some people will say De Palma. Many people have viewed De Palma over the years as a misogynist. And if you look back through some stuff now, people think some of the, like the early shower scene, I think people say was shot a little bit too porny of a manner. <laughs> yeah. I guess it was. It is, yeah. But, you know, and, and some people also point out that you had a lot of 27 year old high school kids in the film too. But nevertheless, nevertheless, I think it's still it, it still holds up extremely well as one of the great horror films ever made. Yeah, we got to talk about that. Um, Billy is played by John, John Travolta, Travolta in this movie, and while he's a, he's a softer John Travolta or he's a softer Billy than in the novel, he's still a really good actor in this. And so he he's, yeah, he's and, a, and the two friends we've got um, Nancy Allen as yeah. the, as Chris, who was and, terrific in it. Yeah, the future De Palma, Mrs. De Palma. So it was Nancy Allen and the other friend. Um, uh, oh, PJ Souls. Yeah, PJ Souls. And they're all right, just right. bringing it, right? Yeah. yeah so, the, like, great acting. No, all he over. loaded the Betty Buckley as the PE teacher, and of course, Amy Irving as. Yeah. I mean, he had a loaded cast, and a lot of people's young careers were kind of made from this film, too. Right. And uh, I believe so. Travolta, is this before or after Greece? I think this is before Greece. It was way before Greece, but I believe it was right in the middle of Welcome Back, Cotter. Because I remember. At the time, when it was being, some of the local ad, uh, newspapers um, had an advertising starring Sissy Spacek and John Vinnie Boom Boom Bob oh, really? Travolta. <laughs> so they were really playing up the fact that he was uh, that he was on Welcome Back, Cotter. Nice, interesting. Well, he's he's still going to be a high school student then a few years later on. Oh, he's good. He, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he had like the, a twenty year high school year. <laughs> yeah, good for him. Um, anything else you want to say about the movie before we get into some of the significant differences? Are we going to talk about the remake, or are we going to talk about that later? We can talk about the remake. What would you like to say about the remake? Because it's been several months since I've seen the remake. So other than really? um, 
Chloe... Chloe Grace Moretz. Moretz, or Chloe Moretz. I think she's dropped the Grace. Oh, she has? Okay. Mostly. Or I thought she was an excellent Carrie as well. I think Julianne Moore is an excellent Margaret. Um, I can't remember any of the other characters, but it's been... Maybe you can help me out here. Well, I think the... Um, I think it was a 2013, I think it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's an underappreciated version. I, I don't think it's much, if any, of a drop-off from the 76 film. Um, folks, you think it's that good? I do, I do. I you think, would think it's in the bottom of the top 50 of all time? <laughs> I would. You know, it's funny. I, I would almost tie the two films because both had flaws, both did things extremely well, and both tell almost an identical story. There's not a whole lot of difference in mm-hmm. the storytelling from either film. Both stray from the book in a couple areas, but both also, the film, the 2013 film, is less a remake a version of the book than is a remake of the 76 film. Yeah. I think what was interesting to me about the remake, so um, disclosure on, so I read Carrie as a kid. I saw Carrie as, and basically forgot all about it. I saw the movie as Carrie, and then I've seen the movie Carrie many more times, and then rereading Carrie for this podcast. So all that said, so now you know my sequence of, when did I see the story I wasn't versus the that book? Closely That's true. Ahead. Yeah, for all the math, we all I'll send you a diagram. <laughs> but the point is, I didn't remember the foreshadowing of Carrie's power as much in the movie. Yeah, my memory of the movie is I it all came on at the end, right? That there was like maybe a slight thing, and in the remake of the film, the the Chloe Grace Moretz. Yes. Yeah. So the Chloe version. The Chloe version. <laughs> In the Chloe version, it seemed like she was like we saw more examples of her practicing her skill, lifting the beds, lifting books, more of that stuff that was also in the in the novel. I agree. Also, someone pointed out, I think quite accurately, that the 2013 version, which had interestingly had a female director, was came off as more of a tragedy than a horror film. Like the 76 film was more of a horror film, which is, an, I think, an interesting way of differentiating mm. the two for better or worse. But part of the reason the 76 version uh, yeah, because in the '76 version, there's not that the the power is slowly hinted at. I think throughout the film, part of the reason that happened was my understanding is the film budget in '76 was like a million and a half, mm. and De Palma had to fight to get it up to a whopping million eight. So they literally couldn't do a lot of the stuff that was in yeah. the book. Legend has it they actually did shoot an opening scene of the stones falling on the house. Right, I read about that, or I heard about it in one of the special editions, yeah. But apparently it didn't look good, and they just scrapped it, and no one has any footage of it. But in the uh, the 2013 version, they were able to do a little bit more. And Carrie, in the 2013 version, starts to embrace and understand her power a little bit more. Some people say the problem is it felt more like a superhero origin story in 2013 Mm. than in 76. But nevertheless, I think that... The, the remake worked extremely well. It doesn't do anything to discredit the 76. I think they're both excellent tellings of the same story. Okay. So why don't we pause here and then we'll see if there's any other significant differences. And now we're to the part of the show where we talk about some of the significant differences between the novel and the film version. So, and we have two film versions that we've been talking about. We've been talking about the Brian De Palma version, and we looked up our director. It's Kimberly Pierce, who directed the 2013 version of the film. Corey, we've been doing a lot of talking. Let's talk. start with you. Okay. Uh, even though we've cheated a little bit, what are some of the significant differences where the, the decisions of either one of those filmmakers change the character or story fundamentally, in your opinion? I noticed this reading the book the second time. I read it for the first time about a year and a half, two years ago. One of the main differences I noticed 
was in the recollection after everything, the fact that people just somehow seemed to know. Like they would just, right, they right. knew. So it wasn't just the telekinesis. She had other powers. Yeah, they weren't really explained much in the book. I don't think they touched on them at all, except for the fact of like talking to police officers and interviewers and then being asked questions and being... So yeah, so let's talk a little bit more about that for people that didn't actually read the book. So in the novel, there's a couple of things that are happening when Carrie is around. So this happened several times, both with Sue, with Tommy. They can, basically, it's like Carrie's emotions are being pushed. Carrie's emotions and Carrie's thoughts are being pushed onto those people nearby. Quillen, Mrs. Simmerd. Yeah, so she would, they would be, in the White Commission reports, they would be interviewing uh, individuals about what was happening and they're like, oh, and then Carrie decided she wanted to go home and kill her mom. And they would ask, well, how did you know that? You just, I just knew. For example, people right. would be like, people would say, oh, she came out of the church. She was praying in the church for five minutes. That was a scene that happened that they totally oh, yeah. didn't cover in the book, in the movie. And Mr. And Mr. And Quillen noticed that it was Carrie White. And the interviewer asked, how did you know it was Carrie White? Oh yeah, had you ever seen her? Have you, had did you have you ever seen her before? Do you know what she looked like? Nope, never seen her before. I just knew. Yeah, yeah, those are good examples. Yeah, that was really interesting. The other thing that speaking of that that reminded me of something is there's a scene in the book right before the shit hits the fan, and Tommy. Well, actually, I don't know. Now that the I have, I have to think about it. No, Tommy is falling in love with Carrie. Or there's an expression of love. I should say this. There's yeah. an expression of love he in Stephen about, King. He talks about loving Carrie and... Right. But I don't know, is he actually loving her or is she actually believing that he loves her? Because, he, you know, that's... A, oh, yeah. Yeah. So now I have to think about that because the way that Stephen King would write those those feelings, it was it was in one of those parentheses I'm... Yeah. We're mind reading now as opposed to a straight narrative. But I don't know. Let me ask you, Stephen, Mr. Payne, did you think that Tommy actually for Carrie in the in the two movies uh, there's indication that yeah he's slowly starting to get there because I think in the 76 version Tommy William Katz Tommy actually at one point they actually have an, a, a sweet little kiss mm-hmm. which suggests that maybe he is starting to um, you know the the butterfly has come out of the cocoon right and he's starting to really see how charming and, and lovely this woman is um, even in, in the book you read that once you know, she kind of quote unquote cleans herself up. She's actually an, a reasonably attractive young lady mm-hmm. yeah. and comes out of her shell. And it's, it's, you start to wonder a little bit about that. I mean, in the, in the remake, I think a little bit of that, that happens too. So I think there's, again, that maybe the movie's interpretation of what happened in the book, but I think it's, it's highly possible that, yeah, Tommy was starting to, uh, Tommy was starting to lean that direction because there are indications that, yeah, Carrie has actually turned out to be a lovely girl. And, mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of it, it's sort of a macabre precursor to those teen films of the '80s and '90s, where you know the ugly duckling turns out to be the beautiful swan, and the yeah. popular kid right, finally right. falls for her, sort of thing. In this case, he ultimately has a bucket fall on his head, and, and kills he him. dies. Yeah. Well, actually, that's a good point. So <laughs> the, <laughs> he dies. <laughs> one one thing that seeing the movie, I I, I was never quite sure of is. Was Tommy dead? Did the bucket on the head actually kill him? And I was... Now Corey's, Corey's raising, raising her hand. Corey's raising her hand. <laughs> the cor- the, the you, panel recognizes Corey. Yeah. Something you wanted to say? <laughs> That's what I... Sorry, you mentioned that. 
And in the book, it says, I don't know exactly, I think it was in a parenthesis, I'm not quite sure. It mentions how Tommy gets hit on the head, and he wasn't dead before that, he was hit unconscious, so he, that wasn't what killed him. But by the time, it says by the time the gas tank exploded, he was dead. Right. So between the point of him getting hit and the gas tank exploding, something happened. So we don't know. Yeah. And I it, don't know. I think the book is, the book's much clearer because we get another one of those foreshadowing statements. I don't know if that's the right word. Mm-hmm. Where it's basically, and Tommy was in the last few moments of his life. Right. Yeah. He gets hit in the head with a bucket. It's clear that he doesn't feel much pain because he's knocked out. But then I believe in the book he dies from the explosion that happens in the school. That's what. Yeah. That's what he alludes to. I thought he, I could be wrong. I thought he he died from the bucket, but I. I think he does in the movie. He dies from the bucket. Well, in the, actually, in the in the seventy six version, it was never clear to me that he did. In the twenty thirteen, <laughs> right? That's version, my that's my point. In the twenty thirteen version, it's very clear that he died from the bucket to the head. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I didn't notice that. Poor Tommy. And I also sorry. No, go ahead. I also noticed that the principal. I noticed that the principal. Um, said something that he um, suspected that they might do something to carry a prom. He was talking to his vice principal and he says, yeah, the kids might do something. I don't know what they're going to do. I think they're going to do something. And then what do you know? 200 people die. That's true. I think, I think in the films, the, the, the principals in that, in the movie, 76 movie, De Palma movie, he's probably in the uh, Kimberly Pierce movie as well. I don't just don't have the memory for it. I think that's the role of the of the PE teacher, um, Miss Desjardins. I believe that character. Yes. Desjardins. Yeah. So I think that's kind of what she's doing through the whole film. One thing I do want to talk about, similar to this, like in a, since we're talking about Tommy, this is another thing that stuck with me: is are the kids laughing at her or not? Yes. So, Corey, go. Are the kids actually laughing at Carrie or not? And is it different in the book and in the movie? In the book, in the movie, you... In the we'll movie, start with one. Pick with one. Okay, sorry. <laughs> in, the, in the movie, you can't exactly tell the difference because she has projected... Her mom has projected images of, they're all going to laugh at you. Right, and that's such an important line, yeah. Exactly. But in the book, it's made much clearer by her account and other people's account of... And it was just, we didn't know what to do, and all we could do was laugh, and it was hysterical laughter. Yeah, so that's that's a great point. To me... So I'll give my opinion and then we'll hear from Mr. Payne. To me, the book is, yes, they're laughing, but not in a, this is funny. It's, it's almost like a shock laughter. Like terrifying. we needed to do something where, yeah, but but Carrie is still hearing that and then projecting, oh, they've, they've made fun of me again and now yeah. I will show them. The movie, the De Palma movie, which I, so clearly I have more experience with the De Palma movie. <laughs> in the De Palma movie... They show the people laughing, and it does seem more like a, this is, yeah, we are laughing at you, including Miss Desjardins, who never would have done that as a character. She would not have been laughing, which is how we know that the film version, De Palma, when he's filming the laughter, and it's also using some tricky camera work, this is laughter that she's seeing in her mind, or she's projecting it as a different type of laughter than what's actually happening in the crowd. In the book, it also mentions about the PE teacher. She goes off stage immediately to meet the PE teacher. And she says something along the lines of, it seemed like it wasn't real. Like, it seemed like the compassion wasn't, like, really Yeah, you and your fake compassion. She says something like that to her. Right, right. I know what you're saying. Your thoughts. Were they laughing at her? Did they all go to laugh at you? They, this has always been for me one of the areas of, and for other people, of possible implausibility of what happens in that third act. 
in the in the book, it seems like yes, there's sort of this weird, awkward laughing going on that Mary maybe Carrie projects to being mocking laughter. Although uh, I I don't know that. Uh, it explains itself a little bit better in the book. In the '76 version, it almost seems like De Palma can't quite make a complete stand because he has this camera trickery from Carrie's perspective that suggests maybe this is like some weird dream projection of them laughing at her. But then he has static shots of people laughing at her too. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm not sure which is real. The 2013 version, they add a little bit more, and then on top, if I recall, on top of the blood, they also have, you know, project the videos of her in the shower having the tampons thrown at her, all this stuff. Right, right. And then it does turn into a bunch of cruel students laughing at her. Yeah. So the film... Uh, uh, all three versions are sort of three blind men and an elephant. Interpret what you will, whether the laughter's real or not. My problem with it always was that if you are accepting this as they're really laughing at her, you know, some of us have taken a view about, I know high school kids can be cruel, but was it really that funny? I mean, it wasn't really, it just seemed like yeah. that was an artificial reaction for the purpose of storytelling for her, them to be laughing that hard at her. So I think of the three versions, the 2013s, Re- character's reaction to the incident is almost more realistic than it is in the 76 version but this and but the novel handles it i think probably best of the three because the whole thing is a matter of you know i saw it this way you saw it that way right. and we really no longer yeah. know what was in carrie's mind anyway yeah exactly what else do you do in that situation well when you have telekinesis you well what do you do when like you see like a girl on stage pig's blood falls on her the bucket hits someone and they go unconscious what are you gonna do uh, hopefully I'll never know. <laughs> High school was a long time ago. Let me know what your prom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let us we'll know see. how it goes. Uh, Stephen, any um, additional thoughts about major differences between the movie and the book that we'd want to bring up here? Well, just for me, the major difference has always been the whole third act, really. I mean, yeah. the, the fact that in both films, the, uh, the whole finale had to be scaled back dramatically for two reasons, budgetary. And also, I think if they had, in the movies, and again, I'll use first the first blood example, Stallone had to do the same thing with that adaptation, was that if Carrie, after leaving the prom, goes and blows up 400 people in town, dropping power lines on people running away and all this other stuff, suddenly she becomes an incredibly less sympathetic character. That's exactly right. She suddenly turns into Godzilla. Yeah. yeah. So um, in both versions, the fact that they really scaled that way back to really it was, the prom was reactionary rage to some degree and then she confronts her mother and then that's and you know runs into sue and chris on the road i think for the purpose of the movies that was handled appropriately yeah i i think you're right and that's a really good point the godzilla analogy because the white you know we've been talking throughout the podcast about the white commission and it is clear that they want to portray carrie as a monster they that this is she's not sympathetic how much damage she's done and all that and that's the Sue character trying to keep reminding, look, she, we did pick on her and she was just a girl and, you know, this could happen again. So, but they are, yeah, so they're trying to both deny that, that it could, that there's a potential of this coming up in someone else. And they also um, fail to um, talk about the fact that Margaret's grandma was also telepathic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. That's, you know, it's interesting. I mean, if you think about it, so we've talked about, in fact, this could have been 
Um, Stephen King with The Shining. Carrie basically has a version of The Shining. Mm-hmm. Doctor yeah. Sleep is effectively The Shining, right? I've not read Doctor Sleep. Yeah, so, well, I mean, it's a sequel to The Shining. Well, I think, I'll, let me add that on to the earlier comment, too. I think you had asked me a while back when we had one of our one of our discussions over a couple of drinks. You said, is it possible or has there ever been an example of someone being able to do a film or book about a quote-unquote school shooter from a sympathetic standpoint of the shooter. Mm. And I think Carrie is close to an, the book is close to an example of that as was first blood, the novel. Right. Um, Unfortunately within the genre that they were working in, that was, would have been a risky thing to do in a horror genre, especially when you've got, you know, you got big people and big names involved in them. So um, it it, is maybe at some point, and I'll, let me also say, there was apparently a TV movie version of Carrie done a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I didn't see it. I don't know if anyone How saw it. How do you it. do that? Uh, they basically, they did it. <laughs> <laughs> no, they did it for uh, television. Yes, along with a musical. But I don't know how they handled the whole the whole ending, but it would have been a much, it would have been in a film much tougher to tell, to have Carrie do what she does at the end of the book and be a sympathetic character. It would stuff. be interesting. Stephen King wrote one of the Bachman books was Rage, I believe. Yes, and that yeah, was yeah, a school yeah. shooting novel. It'd be interesting to see the parallels yeah. between those two books. And I, I remember reading it like in junior high, but I couldn't tell you a thing about it. It'd be it much now. more impactful nowadays knowing yeah. like, everything that's going on. I think on. the Wikipedia article I read is that they've, they've pulled it or he's pulled it. So I don't know how available it is anymore. So now we're in the segment of the show where we talk about uh, lasting impressions, cultural impact. Is there any memes or phrases or imagery from the book or carry that remains uh, identifiable in popular culture? So, Stephen E. Well, the 76 film gave us, gave us, they're all going to laugh at you. Right. Which, if I recall, actually was not even in the book. Which is interesting. So that was a movie it is not. specific it is not. film. Yeah. Um, so it gave us that line, and of course, the famous jump scare, one of the two or three most famous jump scares in movie history, at the very end of the '76 film. So, yes. Uh, that those two things stuck around, along with, you know, what scared most of us from wanting to go to our prom. Right. <laughs> That's true. I would also add. Um, I don't know. Maybe the the whole plug it up that whole scene. I think oh, if yeah. if you were to ask people. What scene do you remember from Carrie? They remember the end scene and they remember the yeah. beginning scene and along right, with the right. whole plug it up lines as well. And then, of course, I think just the anywhere, almost like if you see like a, a dashing guy in a tuxedo, you think of James Bond. I I think any young woman in a dress covered in blood, you're immediately going to think of Carrie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and even, and I think that isn't that the poster for the Kimberly price version? It's like, you know, her name. Yes. And it's yeah. like, that's yeah, a great poster. Yeah. That is a great movie poster. Yeah. I've definitely like, there have been some times where I'll like see people and like, it's not necessarily blood. Like it could be paint or just like water that makes their hair look darker. And I'll like immediately think, Oh, the pig's blood scene, right? With right, Jerry? exactly. Like, and I've even had people like point out stuff like that to me that have read like the book. Well, let me ask you, um, your generation, right? You're going to high school. Does your generation know Carrie? Do they know the book? Do they know the novel? They know very surface level of like the novel. It's a very popular, not popular. Is it popular? I don't know. The novel is popular. Yeah, but, the yeah, no- but um, it's a very is it popular with your it's generation? It's a popular novel. And in my generation, I feel like they don't know the schematics of it of like she was raised by an abusive excessively christian mother mm-hmm. people bullied her i think the one thing that they know is like 
wasn't there this one girl, Carrie, who, like, had blood dumped on her head for some reason and then went and killed, like, a whole town? Yeah, yeah. So that's very prominent. Like, people do know it. Like, if you were like, oh, do you know the book Carrie, the girl with the blood? They, they'd be like, oh, yeah. They know the main chick. beats of it. Yeah. 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 Okay. The, the sem- Donner Party. Somebody ate somebody, right? Yeah, Cannibalism? Was, you know, details, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, well, the 76 film has some had some great historical significance, too, and it was the... I recall it was the first horror film since Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the Frederick March version, to have someone nominated for an Oscar. In fact, it was the first and only, I think, one of two horror films ever, along with Silence Lambs, to have two people, two actors, nominated for Oscars. Because both Sissy Spacek and Piper Laurie got Oscar nominations for that film. So, I mean, there was some... The interaction between those are, it is amazing, right? It is. There's great acting. I mean, it's a terrific, and they they really carry the film. Mm -hmm. No pun intended. (laughs) Right, Sorry. But, um, so the 76 film still holds a lot of historical significance in the genre. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so that's great. Sadly, we have no email this week, so I've been getting a lot of people telling us, oh, enjoy the podcast, love the podcast, but we didn't get any requests or anything like that. So, if you have any requests, if you have any feedback, we are all over social media, or you can just send us an email at blackinkredfilm at gmail.com. Next, uh, we start our new season next week. Yes, or not season. next week. What's next... our new season? What's your next season? Season two, we are going to go into the classic, the classic Universal or Hammer. Frankenstein, stuff like that. Frankenstein and yes. stuff like that. Frankenstein, Dracula, and probably Dr. Jekyll put. and Mr. Hyde, yes. Yes. So... Thank you all very much for listening. Corey, thank you so much for joining us thank on the show. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you for letting me be your first guest. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and Stephen E., you are as handsome as ever. Well, and they're all going to laugh at me. <laughs> You've been listening to Black Ink Red Film with your hosts Stephen Newton and Stephen E. Payne. Music was created by Matthew Murdoch. Please send any comments, questions, or requests to blackinkredfilm at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. Thank you for listening.